Welcome to the Dear NICU Mama podcast. Our mission is to connect the past and the present NICU mom by bringing them out of isolation and into a sisterhood of women who can stand alongside each other as we heal and grow both in and out of the NICU. Our hope is that through interviews with trauma-informed medical and maternal mental health experts and vulnerable stories from NICU mamas themselves, that you would feel connected to the Dear NICU Mama Sisterhood around the world. So, whether your NICU journey was 50 years ago, or whether you find yourself in the NICU today, we hope that this podcast reminds you that you are not alone. Hi, mamas, and welcome back to the Dear NICU Mama podcast. It's your hosts, Martha and Ashley. Well, Ashley, it's February, (laughs) and you know what Xenon, girl of the 21st century, always says. Boom, boom, boom. Make my heart go boom, boom. Do you remember? The, you're looking at me like you have no idea what no, I'm talking about. I'm sorry. I did not watch that. Okay. Well, all the Xenon people, <laughs> I guess, will. <laughs> um, so sorry. Well, the reason why I sing it is because it's uh, it's heart month. It is heart month. Uh, it's, there's so many. We always joke. There's so many months and weeks and days of remembrance and and there's no way we could ever encompass all the wonderful, diverse stories there on the NICU. Um, but That's we true. really wanted this week to feature um, a heart mama story. So today we have part two of Michaela Trang's rude story about Mia, her angel Mia. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So fun. It was hard to find a good spot to close your part one Michaela because we know that there's so much more to come and it was like we didn't want to even pause and have a moment so we're really grateful that you're here for part two and we can't wait to hear more about some of Mia's heart journey and her triumphs and setbacks and how she's thriving at home mm-hmm. yes so amazing Well, and mamas listening for the first time or for the millionth time, we will make sure to link part one in the show notes um, in case you haven't heard that yet. Um, But Michaela, I know it's impossible to condense it, but would you be willing just to share uh, a couple sentences about Mia's first moments of life? Sure. Entrance to the world. Yes. So Mia was born um, uh, full term, but we knew she had some pretty severe birth defects uh, going into delivery. And um, so we delivered her uh, via C-section down in Minneapolis. And um, her first week was uh, uneventful, which in the ICU, you're very thankful for. You don't want an <laughs> eventful ICU stay. Um, but her first heart surgery was at about seven days, uh, se- was at seven when she was seven days old. Um, okay. So, yeah. And that's kind of where we left off. Mia had just had a major heart surgery. You guys um, were aware that there would be more upcoming surgeries. Mm -hmm. But, you know, what, how was it for you as a mom to send your baby into heart surgery? Yeah, I have been thinking about this question. I don't know that anything really prepares you for um, to hand your kid off to doctors uh, for them to perform an open, you know, cut their little chest open and mm-hmm. perform an open heart surgery. Um, really nothing um, mentally I could do to prepare for it. Um, I had mentioned before, though, just knowing that Mia had to have this surgery, this was um, in order for her to live, uh, we needed to walk through this. And um, with the incredible support of my family and my husband by my side, uh, we did. And with trusting and knowing that, um, yes, she was in human hands that were doing the surgery, but ultimately uh, she was in God's hands. And I didn't know these surgeons. I knew they had done it before, but um, so I didn't know if I could trust them. I mean, I know I could, otherwise I wouldn't have let them do the surgery, but I knew I could trust God. And so that is what put my mind and my heart at peace in sending her off to surgery. But it was not easy. I mean, I mm. probably cried for the first hour that she was gone. Right. So. And how long was that first initial surgery? Um, she was the second case of the day, which was, um, I think, around 1 o'clock, and I feel like it was about four o'clock by the by the time wow. she had gotten out and it was relatively besides some bleeding that happens it was a relatively complication free um surgery they got the shunt put in um 
we have an amazing heart surgeon down at Children's Minneapolis and or Children's Minnesota, and um, so they did a fantastic job. And so her, the beginning of her post-op recovery was essentially again uneventful, which was really nice. Sure. And I don't know if we touched about it, and I don't know if we've put it in the the list of kind of pre-questions, but um, you had an older kid at home too, right? Mm-hmm. And you're far from home. Yes. You're recovering from major surgery. You're living out of suitcases and stuff at the Ronald McDonald House. How are you um, balancing that? Or, or how are you, you know, all of those things? Yeah, um, I wasn't, <laughs> in short. Right. Mm-hmm. It, yeah. um, That's fair. Yeah. It, so we had, after um, that first week of her surgery, or of, of when she was born, we had gotten into the Ronald McDonald House. So at least we had a home and we're settled there. Um, it was not connected to the hospital, though, so... It took, you know, it was, it felt like it was a distance. When you left the hospital, you left. We left to go back um, to where we were staying. Um, And my mom had brought down um, Adelaide, my oldest, to be down there for the first week that she was born to. So I was able to see both of them. Um, But really, I think that was probably one of the hardest things for me to work through mentally in those first at least those first couple months, is I didn't feel like a mom to either of my kids. Mm. I wasn't taking care of my oldest. Um, My family was, which she was in great hands, but I I couldn't take care of her and I couldn't take care of my, my new Mia that I had. Um, and it was, it was, it was terrible to be honest. It was really, really hard. Um, and it was one of the hardest things I had to, to work through too. And just, um, continually remind myself, though, that I was doing the best that I could for both of my kids because I yeah. couldn't be with Adelaide all the time. And um, I had to, you know, advocate and be at Mia's bedside. Mm-hmm. So, um, so yeah, that was probably one of the most difficult parts, too, about, and, I mean, jumping ahead, too. So we, my, my parents, or my parents, and then my husband's parents would kind of bring Adelaide down every once in a while. And then the pandemic hit in March and we were still inpatient and we had gotten a letter from the Ronald McDonald house saying, go home and grab your things because you cannot go home. You cannot go to the grocery store. You can go to the hospital and come back here, Um, which they had to do it because they have lots of kids there who um, have bone marrow transplants. And so they are severely Mm -hmm. immunocompromised. And so of course I'm, I'm thankful that we were staying somewhere that protects everybody. But it was really hard right. because mm. then we we actually didn't see Adelaide for an entire month. Wow. Um. So yeah, that was. It gave me a lot of time with Mia, which I wanted and which I needed. Um. But it was still mm. very difficult too because I mean she's what was she almost almost three at the time where she doesn't she'll say hi over a video call and then she'll run away and go play and so and again she doesn't understand it and and people would always encourage me and say you know she's not going to remember this time in her life and which which is fine but I remember it yeah and that's what's really hard and I know that thankfully she won't and I'm happy about that but but it's it's really hard as a mom to to not feel like you're a mom and um that was really really hard for me yeah absolutely i mean that just is heartbreaking to think about not being able to see your child for a month and Mm -hmm. and also i'm sure i'm sure your heart was too processing what it would look like for your daughter to have a sister you know like i'm sure you envisioned those first moments like you saw on facebook where it's like the older sister gets to hold the new sister and you're all in the hospital together and, you know, instead they're split up in two completely different places. I mean, I'm sure that was really difficult. Yeah. Yeah, I had to, um, honestly, like unfollow a lot of people, even friends actually on social media, because it, it hurt too much to see, like you, like you had said, those pictures of, Oh, look at, they're meeting their sibling for the first time and look at we're home now. And it was, um, that was really hard for me too. And I felt guilty about it right away because I'm like, oh my gosh, these are my friends. Like, how can I not be happy and celebrate for them? Which obviously deep down, I was very happy for them. However, at the time my heart needed to just mm-hmm. be in where I was in and, um, yeah. not see these other things, you know, the happiness that I wanted yeah. of, um, of bringing my second child home. So, yeah. 
Absolutely. That's really wise of you. I think that um, to know that that's what you needed right away. I, I think a lot of people come to realize that's a necessity, but it's hard to do for the exact same th- reasons why you described, mm-hmm. right? You feel like, oh, I'm, I'm not being a bad friend. Well, that's as, you know, my mother-in-law would say, well, that's bollocks, you know. <laughs> they just, like, you're, you just, um, you have to do it to survive for your for your babies because yep. at that point that's all that matters right yep. like and it was stealing the joy uh, that I had too like the yes, little moments yes, of joy yeah. that were happening in my life were being robbed by these things of oh mm-hmm. life should be this way and life right. yeah. um my life is not um the way it should be essentially and that's another that's a thing I worked through as well was coming to the fact like and I had talked about before how I'm such like a like a future thinker and so I was essentially hurrying through this in my mind trying to hurry through the season of time and it was it was really frustrating for me because you can't speed up recovery (laughs) you know I mean you can't speed up sometimes what you're going through and I was I I had to come to a point where I had to tell myself what am I trying to, um, what, what, what is my end? What am I trying to get to here? And it was, again, like I said, robbing me from the joy in today because I was like, oh, let's, when, when life gets normal, when, when we return to normalcy and obviously, you know, we've lived through almost two years of a pandemic. What, what is normal, you know, when life changes so much, mm-hmm. but I was really struggling with, with that and trying to, okay, when this is over, when this is over, and it came to a point where I'm like, this is my life. And not yeah. only because when you have a child with heart defects, a lot of people think, oh, your child, they had their surgery, they're healed or they're cured, you're, they're, they're, they're fixed. Mm-hmm. No, congenital heart disease is a lifelong thing. Like there's, there's never a time where I can be like, oh, her heart is fine. I mean, there's times where she's stable, more stable than others, mm-hmm. but she's never going to be fixed. And also too with... Um, with repairing um, the facial cleft that she has and removing the tumor, I have a very unique life in the fact that I can't hide my child's disabilities. Not that I want to, but just coming to grips with, Michaela, this is the rest of your life. And you get to choose how you think about it. Are you going to try to, you know, just rush through it and get through all the hard things? Or are you going to stand in this moment and find the beauty in today. Um, and I realized I was missing a lot of it. And I'm thankful that I kind of processed through that early yeah. on, because I was able to then, like I said, enjoy, um, enjoy the the days. My mom had encouraged me to, I was kind of talking, externally processing this through, through this with her. And um, she had said, I, I was I was looking forward to the miracle, you know, like I'd mentioned my faith before, like, God, I know that God can heal and I know he's going to do it for me. I know he's going to completely heal my child. And, you know, all of these things that I'm hoping and wishing that would happen. And I'm explaining this to her and she goes, Michaela, I know you're waiting for that. But what if it doesn't come? And that's fine that it doesn't come, but you're missing in, in, in anticipating and only thinking and focusing on the big, that big miracle that you're thinking of, you're missing all these tiny miracles that are happening every day. And so actually from then on, I had um, a planner um, that I could, you know, lots of space for writing. And every single day I wrote down what was called me as miracle. Mm -hmm. And it was one good thing that had happened to me that day or happened to her or like, and I mean, some days where your oxygen didn't drop below 70%, you know, or I think you looked at me and I think you smiled at me today, you know, and because some days on the really hard days, and we've all had those really difficult days where we didn't, we didn't know, you know, what the future held. um, There was always a, a little something of good that could have been found. And really that is what brought me through some of really, some really difficult days. Mm-hmm. Um, was finding, even if it was just the smallest thing to be thankful for and focusing on, all right, tomorrow I'm going to find out, I'm going to find one more good thing that happened. Um, so that, like I said, got me through a lot of um, those, those really big setback days too. Yeah. 
Absolutely. I'm sure it's surreal to look back on those journal entries now that you're, you know, so far removed from it and just to look back and, and see the, what was, you know, the miracles of that day and then to see where she's thriving now. I mean, I'm sure that mm-hmm. is just so surreal. Yes. So beautiful. Yeah. So after she had that first surgery, you know, what were some of her triumphs and setbacks in the NICU and, and when were her follow-up surgeries? Yeah. So, um, I could talk all day about this, but I won't (laughs) bore you with all of those details. Probably one of the biggest, um, setbacks when on December 20th, um, nope, 22nd. See, I already forgot, (laughs) I'm already mixing it up. 20 day when she was 20 days old, um, we had come home. It was right before Christmas. We had come home to spend some time with um, our family. And I, it was a Sunday morning at 7.05 in the morning, and I had gotten a phone call from the hospital. And I was still half sleeping, but all I remember is that they said, Mia went into cardiac arrest. We've been doing CPR for half an hour, and oh. we're wondering what you want us to do. And again, I'm half sleeping. I'm, I'm, I, I said, what? And she said it again, and she's like, do you want us to put her, we have, um, we can keep going until you get here, or we have the option of putting her on ECMO. And again, I, being a nurse, like I kind of knew what that was, but I've never had to deal with that before. Even in my, you know, mostly emergency room experience, I, I just, I didn't have to, um, I didn't really know what that all entailed. And so I'm like, but when she asked me if she wanted, they wanted to keep going, I said, I'm like, we're three hours away. And she's like, yeah, do you want us to put her on ECMO or do you want us to keep going? I'm like, I mean, put her on, put her on ECMO, like, do everything that you can. And so then we are, my daughter was sleeping in the um, room with us and my sister-in-law was living with us at the time. So my husband woke her up and was like, Hey, we have to go to the cities right now. And so we, uh, went really, uh, we made it there in record time. <laughs> um, I'm sure, yeah. And, but it said the whole first, at least next hour, we heard nothing. We had no idea what was happening. We had no mm-hmm. idea if she was still alive. We, um, so then we got a phone call and the doctor had said we, she's stabilized on ECMO. And then I don't even remember what else she said. So I'm like, okay, we're, we're, we're coming, you know, and I walked into that room and like my heart sank she was connected to she had eeg leads on her head because they ended up doing cpr for um over an hour before they could get her on ecmo and um there's the whole ecmo machine in there there's tons of people like i could hardly even get over to where the couch was in this and it wasn't it wasn't a tiny icu room um i could hardly squeeze through all of the machines and all of this stuff and i mean the doctor came in and just you know, tried to explain what happened, but no one really, they don't, they're still not sure if it was the shunt that clotted off and her blood couldn't oxygenate. So essentially she went from respiratory arrest into cardiac arrest, um, or if it was a pulmonary hypertensive crisis, uh, they still don't know. They think it was probably the shunt that clotted off, but, um, and to really not have even answers like what happened and what's going on and uh, how are you going to fix this and what do we do next? And so that was, um, again, probably the lowest part or the lowest place um, of her whole entire NICU stay. Um, um, So she was on ECMO for two weeks. And then during that time, um, New Year's Eve, actually 2019, she had a second open heart surgery where Mm -hmm. they put in a different shunt, um, a little bit bigger one so that it hopefully wouldn't clot. Um, So then she had her recovery from that. And there was probably, and there was times too where, probably about four or five times where we were standing at her bedside, not knowing, not thinking she was going to pull through. Um, but, but eventually she, she stopped getting worse and stabilized and then started getting better, you know, and it was kind of this like ebb and flow and, and anybody who's gone through a NICU stay knows that it's one step forward, two steps back, three steps forward, one step back, you know, it's this like ping ponging back and forth of, um, of recovery and, you know, setback, like I said, but eventually she stopped getting worse and started getting better. Um, and she, her heart or she had heart, her heart had stabilized. And then probably towards maybe like this, like after about two and a half months, um, 
we, if she had not had the tumor on her face, we probably actually would have gone home after that mm -hmm. because her heart was stabilized. So we were essentially closed one chapter, opened up the next, because now we have this whole separate issue um, that is still, I mean, the heart had to be fixed first, obviously, but still a huge issue with removing this tumor from, I mean, is it in her brain? Is it, we just, again, didn't know without more um, scans and stuff like that. So, mm -hmm. so then we opened up that next um, book and um, we, and then, like I said, moving forward to um, that week of Mar March 20th was her, um, her tumor removal surgery. And that's when like the pandemic was declared and nobody knew you know, no one knew anything like is how bad yeah. this was going to be. And so I was told earlier because her surgery, I think, I don't remember if it was a Thursday or a Friday, but um, earlier in the week, I was told by some random cardiologist that I had never had before. He came in and said, oh, your surgery on Friday or Thursday might be canceled. And to this <laughs> day, I cannot look at this this cardiologist. And I I don't like when he walks in the room because I'm afraid of what he's going to tell me because right. he just literally told me the worst news ever because we could, I, I would not take Mia home with this tumor because as she grew, the tumor grew and it was beginning to even occlude her other, her one functioning nostril even more. Mm -hmm. Um, and I'm like, I can't do that. And I'm not going to, we live three hours away. And so, mm -hmm. um, I'm like, you know, mama bear kicked in. I'm like, I will yeah. tell the the head honcho of this entire hospital that he's doing they are doing my surgery anyways thankfully um you know it wasn't emergent but it was an urgent surgery so they did the surgery mm. um and then she had you know complications after that she had some swelling over the area she had a uh, cerebral spinal fluid leak after mm. that you know which the complication of that is getting meningitis and which is a huge terrible thing that could happen and um so I had a lot of I felt at that time too that I really had my feet dug in and I could be more of an advocate for her like that right. by this time I had processed through a lot of stuff that was happening and so I felt like I could um like things weren't really happening to me anymore I was more in control if that mm -hmm. makes sense yeah. and um she had ended up having a complicator that cerebral spinal fluid leak and I had seen it and I had told the nurse, I'm like, this is, this is bad. Like, look at this. And she kind of brushed me out. Like the nurses and stuff are great, but you know, sometimes yeah, you get yeah. one. Like, I'm like, yeah. this is, this is a problem. Yeah. And she's like, oh no, I, I mean, I kind of see, but I don't really think so. I'm like, okay, we, this is what we will do. We will put on another thing of gauze. Cause she had this um, drain coming out of kind of where her forehead is. And I said, we will put another piece of gauze on and we will recheck in half an hour. And if it looks the same again, you, you need to call the doctor. And so it did again. She's like, okay, well, and I like, no, go call the doctor. The doctor came, he looked at it. He kind of brushed it off too. He's like, no, I don't think so. I'm like, I will not and cannot rest until my heart is at peace with this. And it is not like you need to make sure. So then they called the neuros, like one of the neurosurgery on call people in and he said, if it is a leak, this is the antibiotic she, antibiotic she would do, be on. This is the test we would run. And he was doing everything as if it was, which then I knew that I could rest about or I could put my mind at ease right. because I knew it was and they didn't think it was. But if it was, it was covered. So that was over the weekend. And then on the next Monday, um, the doctor came in. He goes, did you hear? And like, did I hear what? It was a, it, it was a, a spinal leak. And I looked at him, I go, I know it was like a straight yeah. up. I'm like, you, I told you it was like, no shame. Oh so sometimes goodness. mamas dig your heels in and cause you know, your kid best. And, um, and I humbly would have taken if it was, if, if I was wrong, I humbly would have taken it, but I knew, I knew something was wrong. And so, um, but after that, um, we kind of did some more interventions and then she was on a lot of medications. She also had another, um, where her drain was in the wrong place and it looked like she had this massive stroke, um, which ended up actually just being, um, 
a paralysis of a certain nerve in her brain anyways. Um, but there was another huge setback too. And so then she had this like lazy eye essentially, which happened because it was, you know, this nerve was paralyzed. And so we worked through that. And then, you know, she's having a hard enough time seeing anyways. And now here we go, paralyzing her eyes. <laughs> so anyways, she, um, we just had days and days of just, you know, continuing to march on and getting better. And um, we ended up coming home on actually my oldest birthday, um, May 4th. So we wow. spent a total of 155 wow. days in the hospital, mm -hmm. five months. Wow. Um, and we were, we were really excited to go, to go home um, just to end up back in the hospital a month later. We knew we were going to go in again um, the following month for her next, uh, that Glenn surgery that I talked about. Um, so we were thankful to go home though and have a month at home, which at that time we started therapies and well, actually we didn't start therapy then. We waited until after she came home the second time. But her next heart surgery, we were inpatient for eight days, which was a miracle in and of itself after a five month stay. And um, aside from one other um, hospitalization last fall for a sickness, we've been out of the hospital besides appointments mm. since then. So, wow, which is amazing. It is amazing. What was it like to to have your girls together? Oh, it was amazing. It was the first week that Mia was home was pretty rough though because she was still withdrawing from a lot of the medication because mm -hmm. she was oh, yeah. on pain meds, you know, for months and then you try to pull it off and I'm like, "All right, let's go. Let's go. I want to go home," but also being, you know, patient enough to, you know, to list to watch her and know what she needed, like, "Oh, we need to slow down the weaning." And so the first week was I felt bad because it was Adelaide's birthday, but like, I'm like, okay, we're going home. You have all of this stuff and all these meds and bags and you have no routines or systems at home. And right. so it, um, it took a little while to kind of adjust and get into some routines, but, but having them both together was, um, everything is better than it felt better than I think it would have if we wouldn't have gone through this. I was more grateful, um, to have them together. And you talked a little bit about you started therapies shortly after she came home the, the second time. Yep. Um, what what other ongoing medical support did she need? Um, yep. I I mean, you come into it with a wealth of your you know background knowledge. Obviously, it's your profession. Um, but we hear so many from medically complex mamas like. The line between mom and medical provider is very thin sometimes. Yes, it is. Um, and, you know, I had one year of med surge experience, but the rest of mine was all in the emergency department. And we don't deal with feeding tubes in the ER. We don't <laughs> deal with all of this stuff. So really, I was, I had, you know, the knowledge of the severe complications, but I didn't have the daily knowledge of, of knowing how to manage these things. So she has a... Um, came home with and still has a G-tube with, um, um, which she's primarily fed through. Um, and uh, she really at five months couldn't hold her head up. I mean, when we started therapy, she was actually about seven months and she was almost like, you know, my newborn is now like where she can't like has the strength to hold her shoulders back and her head up and move around. So we were essentially starting like from ground zero, I felt like. Um, so we started uh, physical therapy twice a week and did that for over a year. And, um, going into how she's thriving today, she, um, is like a normal two-year-old, you know, mm. um, she, besides some of her cardiac, you know, her really chilly hands and chilly feet and purple lips when she runs around too much, you know, um, she is just thriving cognitively wise. Um, her, in her gross motor, her fine motor, and then in her early intervention, um, people that come, they're like, she's she's meeting every milestone. Mm -hmm. She's, you know, ahead in some things. And um, mm -hmm. yeah, so I like, I never ever thought that we would be where we are today. She still is um, primarily fed through her feeding tube. Um, we're working on a lot of those um, oral skills and eating and that kind of mm -hmm. stuff. And she's showing lots of interest. She communicates really well through sign language. Mm -hmm. She, I had to get on her today because she was coloring on my table with a crayon. I mean, <laughs> like the, yeah. like the normal yeah. kid things. Yeah. And I, I told my husband, I said, she has a SAS pass for life, you know, right <laughs> or wrong, but like for yeah. everything she's gone through, she just, I love that. <laughs> yep. So yeah. I like 
no, you can't color on my table. But then, you know, deep down, I'm just smiling because I'm like, oh, she's coloring on my table. She's here. She's, you know, it just makes me so much more thankful for the little things. And I just finally, or I, every, I find myself every day, multiple times a day, just smiling, looking up and saying, thank you, God. Thank Mm -hmm. you. Thank you. Just for, you know, when you have a child who shouldn't be here because of the complication, like the severity of things and everything they've been through and they are, it is just humbling. So you still have one, one major heart surgery coming up. Will it be in about a year or two? Is that how? Yep. They like to wait. They like to wait till about um, as close to the age of four as possible. Cause you know, the bigger, the better. Um, but her current oxygen saturations are between 75 and 85%. So that's the struggle with, um, you know, being a single ventricle after her next heart surgery, they will be up in the nineties, um, I'm pretty sure is what I, from what I asked last time. Um, but, you know, during this time, she, we're constantly monitoring for sickness. I mean, we have COVID in our house right now and I'm like yeah. on edge with, you know, thankfully my oldest doesn't have any respiratory symptoms, but gosh, like, did you cough? Are you like, are you okay? I'm listening to her lungs. I'm her, I, you know, I do her nursing stuff at home. And so just constantly monitoring. And like I said, she was hospitalized for the common cold, you know, and Mm -hmm. just having to constantly be on thinking about all those things and um, prepared for all those things. You know, I wonder if you'd be willing to share about what healing has been like for you as you've been home and, you know, with any medically, what any medically complex NICU mama knows or heart mama knows is that your journey after the NICU medically doesn't end. You know, you have upcoming appointments, you have things to monitor. And so, you know, what has healing looked like for you and how do you continue to heal and process through everything that you have gone through and are going through? Yeah, I have realized that healing is lifelong. Mm-hmm. Um, when you go through, no matter what it is, anything hard, like I said, I I used to have the mindset of like, all right, let's push, like, once we're at a place where we're stable and things are fine again, then I can relax about this. But I'm, it as soon as that happens, then like this, the grief hits me all over again. I see a specific stuffed animal that I remember brings me back to a certain day, hard Mm -hmm. day in, in the NICU. And, um, Mm -hmm. it kind of, it could come, the grief comes in waves and knowing too, that we have surgeries coming up in the future, it almost feels like, oh, we're just waiting for the next thing to happen. And we're waiting for the next hard thing. And again, I need to bring myself knowing that I do fear the worst case scenario. And I am always looking forward to bring myself back in today and say, nope, we are fine today. We are, Mm -hmm. we're okay today. Um, after about, um, eight months after we got home, I, I didn't really think I had, um, struggled with anxiety prior, like prior in my life, but this actually starting once, once I got married and then, um, you know, fearing something bad was going to happen to my husband. And then once I had my first kid and all of the, the mama things you think about all of those fears and then having a kid with, Um, complex medical issues where really some of your worst case scenarios are actually you're living through them um, is really difficult. And I really, really found that I tend to have a lot of anxiety when it comes to those things. And after about eight months um, of being home, um, I really, I was having a hard time functioning um, Mm. in my daily life. And I knew that I needed to change something. And my mm-hmm. husband was very encouraging and said, yeah, you, you need to go talk to somebody because mm-hmm. he is very good at listening to me, but I needed somebody to help me process through what I was yeah. going through. Yeah. And, you know, we feel a lot of, like, we feel a lot of things and you're like, okay, well, what's going to help? Like, I, I, I don't know. I don't know what's going to help because I don't know what I'm feeling. Mm-hmm. And through counseling, they, they helped me, um, pinpoint the emotions that I was feeling. Like I explained, I was telling um, my counselor about, you know, something and he's like, well, how does that make you feel? 
And I'm like, or how, what are you, what are you feeling? Are you angry? Are you sad? I'm like, I don't need, I don't even know. Or I said, he, he said, how do you feel? And I said, I feel bad. <laughs> <laughs> and he, he handed me a sheet of paper and he said, can you, can you put a, can you put a word or a name to those feelings? And I'm like, I feel scared or I feel, yeah, I was able to actually like express the way I was mm-hmm. feeling with a word and it was a lot easier. Like, okay, I feel afraid. I can, I can work with afraid because I can say, all right, I know I'm afraid and I acknowledge that bad things can happen and bad things have happened, but, mm-hmm. and then I can speak to that. You know, I, I had a lot of Bible verses that helped me with those things or a lot of like different quotes that I would say, okay, I, I'm afraid of this happening. All right. Well, even if that does happen, I know that I will be taken care of. I know that God has good plans for me. I know that I will never be alone, you know, and that was probably the biggest thing that helped me in my processing was being able to name the feeling and then speak truth to the feeling. Mm -hmm. And that has really gotten me through even to this day when things come come up like oh i'm like i'm super anxious right now or i'd have like you know the i'd be short with my kids or i would be um you know like i would i could tell i was like anxiously cleaning or you know doing something and stop and be like why do i feel this way oh it's because i was just thinking about me as you know next heart surgery and i'm afraid Okay, you know, and bring it back yeah, to, yeah. you know, being able to, to, to slow down and, um, um, yeah, if that makes sense. So, yeah, and I'm able to continue to do that, thankfully putting some things in place where, you know, when those, those thoughts come back up or when you're processing through or when you're anxious, oh, I recognize this and this is how, this is what I do. And this is how, and sometimes I have to do it every minute Mm -hmm. because I'm not perfect at it. And some days I just, I'm like, all right, it is 7 PM. Take the children. I'm going to bed because, you know, we all have those days. Um, But it's, it's helped me manage my anxiety um, Mm -hmm. a lot, a lot easier by doing that. So I'm so thankful that I um, took the time to take care of myself in that Mm -hmm. sense um, and get the counseling that I really did need. One of the other heart moms um, that she had had a heart kiddo um, before I did. And so I had called her actually right away and we found out this diagnosis and she was so helpful and encouraged me a lot of things. And one of the first things she had told me was, you know, don't be afraid to get counseling. And I wish I would have done it sooner. Mm -hmm. Um, because it because they are people who are trained to help you process through what you're going and i did some emdr therapy as well and Mm. it um it has made all the difference so still sometimes a daily struggle especially right now with working through you know the possibility of the rest of us getting sick you know um so but yes it comes it comes in waves it's really incredible i think it's really beautiful that you found you know, you've identified you're an Enneagram six or, and for many, you know, many people that might be that you're like, you process things and you're constantly thinking about the future, right? Whatever that looks like for you. But then you identified, okay, this is the arsenal of different tools and the different types of therapies available to me. This is, I'm going to find the thing that works for me and mm-hmm. I'm going to practice it. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, cause that's a lot of work and takes energy yeah. from, um, for a person who's a mom, uh, because that's a full-time job situation, mm-hmm. but you're doing a lot more too. Mm-hmm. So um, just really want to commend you for, for all of that work mm-hmm. too. Thank you. Um, also commend you on all of your work you've done with Mia, because when you said that, she, you know, how much she's come, you talked about around seven months old when she was starting to have her therapies. We met her last summer, you know, 2021. Mm-hmm. I would never have, I would never have known that she made it. Mm-hmm. That is a lot of progress in a very short amount of time. Yes. Yes, she did. She progressed very quickly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they worked. We have amazing um, physical therapists that we worked with. And it was fun for me because I want to get out of the house and have some, because <laughs> I stay home with my kids now. And so have some, you know, adult interaction time. But she really did make yeah. progress so quickly. And there were days, but there were lots of days too, where I thought, we're this is this is what we're gonna where we're gonna be at forever and um you know because we do go through those ups and downs still and I do remember thinking she is never gonna roll over 
And she mm-hmm. technically she she still doesn't roll over a ton. She just kind of skipped <laughs> right. that and then just you know <laughs> right. and just started yeah. crawling instead. You know, um, <laughs> but there were a lot of days where I was really really struggling with the fact that I did. You know, I you didn't think they they were going to progress. Really, you know, I don't know how to, I don't know how to say that. Um, yeah. There were days where um, I didn't think that we would get to where she's at today and um the the thing that helped me through those days too was just reminding myself that you know whatever her future ends up looking like i'm here for it and i don't know if she'll walk but you know if she doesn't i'm here for her and and we'll deal with it and we'll 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 make it work so yeah yeah so beautiful michaela it's your story has so many moments of hope and Mia truly is a miracle and um looking back on her journey I can I can see all the little miracles that got you guys mm-hmm. to where you are today and it's it's so beautiful so thank you so much for for sharing and you know for the for the heart mamas that we have listening today you know what words of hope or encouragement whether that be they know they have an up and coming heart surgery or um their child is is you know prepping for surgery soon you know what what hope would you give them? Yeah. Um, there's kind of two things that I was thinking about. Um, the first would be let it be hard. Mm. I, again, and it depends on your personality too, but I, I used to feel like it was bad that I was anxious about something or that I was, that I was afraid. Um, and I'd say, nope, nope, I shouldn't be afraid. I shouldn't be anxious. It's, it's, I, I should, I should be happy about this. I should be, you know, like I wouldn't let myself feel things. And that is kind of where I was at right away um, in my journey, too, was um, I just didn't let myself process things in the time. And I didn't want, I like probably didn't cry for like two months. And then mm-hmm. I spent the next three months crying. <laughs> right. Yeah. Because I, I just, I tried to push through all of those things, but it didn't, um, it didn't help me in the moment. Um, say, you know what, this is really, really hard. Yes, we're probably going to make it through. Yes, it's probably going to fine, be fine. But right now, here in this moment, it's really hard. And so let yourself feel feel those feelings and let yourself sit in it for a little bit. Um, because I think if you don't, you kind of shove it under the rug and your rug is only so big and then it starts to come out and then you have to deal with all of these other things and you're not even sure where it started. Um, and so just being able to um to like i said sit in it and then and then say all right let's move on and then you take your next step forward um and on long hard days too um there's another new heart mom that i was just talking to and she was saying she doesn't know when she's going to leave and she's really discouraged about you know she can't see the light at the end of the tunnel and sometimes when you have a long stay or you do experience a complication you have no idea how long your tunnel is and i felt like that so often yeah. um but just finding things to distract yourself too. I did, I did a lot of crying. I did a lot of praying and I did a lot of puzzles. <laughs> that is what I did in those five months. You know, you just, you're at a point where you're like, all right, there's nothing more that I can do. And I remember actually, actually, I think about this often. I had met with you before I had had, had Mia and mm-hmm. you were just telling me some things. Um, and the one thing that I kept thinking about though, you said there's going to be a time where you're out of words and you're out of prayers, and you're out of tears, and the only thing that you can do is stand by your baby's bedside. Mm-hmm. And I thought about that a lot, especially <laughs> on the really hard days, because sometimes, because you do come to the end of yourself, and you do come to a point where you have nothing left to give, and the only thing you can do is just stand there and wait, and um, knowing and reminding yourself that it will pass. You don't know what the future is going to hold, but this moment won't last forever. Mm-hmm. You're going to get through it, um, and you're going to be a better person for it. Um, so yeah, those are my biggest things, you know, just and taking care of yourself. And like I said, my husband and I went on. I mean, we were kid free essentially. We had expensive. <laughs> right. We had my oldest was with my family, and then we had expensive babysitters for my other one. <laughs> 
So we went on a lot of dates together, and it it really was such a rich time to to be able to process things together, and just brought brought us so much closer in this really difficult time, um, because we were, um, you know, taking time for ourselves and reminding us that. You know, on the heart, if he would say something that would make me mad or if I would say something, you know, reminding ourselves like mm-hmm. we're not the enemy. We are just <laughs> under a lot of stress. Yeah. And, um, you know, that we're in this together. And so yeah, um, find your support systems. And when you don't think you have any le- anything left to give, that's okay. You do. You have more. And mm-hmm. um, your child is amazing, no matter what their future, their past is, what's happened to them and what their future has. Um, mm-hmm. Your kid is here for a purpose, and so are you, and you're the best person to take care of that baby. Mm. So beautiful. I feel like so many gems from this this episode yeah. and you sharing your wisdom. Mm-hmm. Um, um, things, you know, we hear a lot of stories, you know, a lot of incredible NICU stories. And there's things that, like, like several times things little nuggets of wisdom that i've literally never heard before Mm. like how you talk about the tunnel and and not even knowing how long the tunnel is i feel like so many women can Mm -hmm. identify with that Mm -hmm. and um Mm -hmm. i uh am so proud that you're part of the subscribe i'm just really proud that we get to know Mm -hmm. me too absolutely yeah and mia's life is pretty incredible i mean she yeah. also has the opportunity to like, yes, we have, um, we have her heart that we're talking about and that we're, you know, we're dealing with appointments and stuff for that and her future with that. Um, but I get the, also the opportunity to see life through a little girl whose face looks different than everybody else's. Mm-hmm. And um, for as hard as that is, that's another thing that I've really had to process through is she has no idea about, mm-hmm. you know, this part of her that other people mm-hmm. see. Um, but I do, and I see things, and I hear things, and I, um, and it's been um, hard for me too. For, and again, mm-hmm. for how much I love her, and I'm, I, I want to give, I want to give me the world, just like we all want to give our kids the world. And I've come to realize that, even with thinking about Mia's surgical his or planning her surgeries in the future related to her face, um, she's never gonna look like her sisters she's 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 going to look like Mia and that's okay and I realize that I don't want to change Mia for the world I want to change the world for Mia Mm. yeah and I think I'm so proud of her because I know that she like I said each of our babies have a purpose and she has a purpose and I know that if God wanted to change the way she looked, he would have. He could have done something, but he didn't. And that's okay, because I think Mia can do more for the world with the way she is than if she wasn't the way she was, if that makes sense. And um, I just wanted to say, too, you know, living living a life with a child with craniofacial abnormalities is is hard and beautiful and i'm just i think of ways all the time too where i can like encourage other people and other moms too because navigating conversations and interactions can be really difficult and um i think um part of this journey and that i and this opportunity i have to walk with and live with mia is educating other people on Mm -hmm. you know how truly beautiful people really are and you know I think just some educating things that people, moms can do too with their kids is anytime you see somebody that looks different than them, whether that be using using a mobility aid or that has a very severe facial abnormality, you know that we have the opportunity, opportunity to introduce our children to something that they didn't know before. Mm-hmm. And um, I think some things, practical things too, that I've been thinking about is, um, you know, if you see somebody who looks different than you is to not shy away from conversations. And I know that's a really, that can be a really difficult thing for parents because if, because the the thought of my child saying something mean to somebody else's child um, makes me super anxious and I, I don't want that to happen. But I, as a mom of a child who looks different, would rather have an interaction with a parent and a child 
and an opportunity to show them and tell them that people who look different than them are beautiful too. And they're, they're people and they're kids just like they are, you know, and going up and going and introducing yourself and um, and introducing your child to my child or those kinds of things. And it can even be mm -hmm. like, you don't even have to know what to say because us as parents kind of know what to say, if that mm -hmm. makes sense. You know, somebody mm -hmm. coming up and saying, hi, my name is, this is, what's your name? You know, and asking, oh, this is Mia and me. And because I know what to say and I know how to navigate. And even if a child says something that you're like, oh my gosh, my kid just said something mean, like children are unfiltered. Like we, we know that they say <laughs> right, things right. and they don't mean things maliciously, you know? So yeah. just me, me though, seeing a parent willing to come up and willing to teach their child about something, even though it makes them uncomfortable. Right. Um, and being able to say, hey, this is Mia, and she's she's a little girl, and she likes to play just like you, and she likes to go to the park, and she has an older, yeah. she has sisters, and do you yeah. have sisters? And yeah. um, and so I think that's one way that we can make this world a better place for our kids, because our, each of us have something unique about ourselves, and we want people to be loving and accepting and um, yeah. being open and willing to learn from other people and their stories, I think is, um, would help make this life or this world a more beautiful place too, yeah. because we, we all want to be, we all want our kids to fit in and be accepted. And, um, I'm just thankful, like I said, to have the opportunity to, um, talk about and educate people about, about Mia and how wonderful she is and, um, her story. Mm -hmm. So I'm so thankful that you guys have, allowed me to come on here and kind of share a little bit about her and like I said make try to help make our little world better for our children yeah, yeah. absolutely no I'm so and I know Martha I don't want to speak for you but I think we're in agreement on this <laughs> but just I'm sure you could be you could be like peanut butter's awful and I'd be like I agree <laughs> Um, but no, uh, we just are so inspired by the ways that you advocated throughout your pregnancy and also through her Nikki's day, but also with her life at home. And you also and journeyed through another pregnancy after Mia, which took yes. a lot of courage. I remember yes. seeing I remember seeing you at a birthday party and, and I, I think I audibly said, That is so brave of you. You <laughs> like, did, I remember that. And I'm like, It is brave of me. I can take those compliments yeah, and I can yes, yes. Yes. I was so proud of you and also just in awe of you. And so it's just really it's so fun to see your family be a family and mm -hmm. I'm just really excited to see the ways that Mia continues to change the world or you know and just with yeah. who she is she's such a bright light mm -hmm. and so um thank you so much for sharing your story and we hope that this episode just affirms that um that your child is beautiful just the way that they are mm -hmm. and that you are the best mother for them that yeah. they will continue to thrive in the world because of your advocacy and because of your love Mm -hmm. And so um, to any of our medically complex and heart mamas, um, we're just so proud of you. We know that your journeys after NICU don't end the moment that you leave those NICU doors. And so uh, the sisterhood is with you both in those NICU doors and outside of them. And we just stand by you and are in full support in uh, both you and your babies. So thank you so much, mamas, as always, for tuning in. Um, we're just so grateful to share this space with you, and we can't wait to share more stories and interviews in the upcoming weeks. So have a wonderful rest of your day, and we will talk soon. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of the Dear Nikki Mama podcast. If you loved this episode, we'd be so grateful for a review on any of the podcast platforms. And we'd love to continue connecting with you via our social media pages or our private Facebook group. And ultimately, Nikki Mama, welcome to the sisterhood.